This podcast is a Podcast Radio original. This is Podcast Radio. I'm Mark Pendergast, and we're speaking today with a three-time Olympic medalist, Roger Black. He talks about the difference between elite performance and training for elite performance and how he's had to transition into training for a healthy lifestyle. In other words, being kind to his body rather than pushing it to its absolute limits. We talk about the psychology of being a medal winner, what it takes, and how maybe having not the best support when it came to sports science could have been an advantage. He talks about his time as a 400-metre runner and the fact he's the last British person to win a medal in that event at the Olympics. It's a fascinating insight. We started by asking him, what's the difference between elite performance and exercising for health? I retired 25 years ago. It was a long time ago. I mean, I... I I, I almost find it hard to relate to how how hard I trained and what I did and what I put my body through, but it was never a problem. It was never a sacrifice because, of course, you know I had a very clear dream of one day, hopefully, standing on the Olympic rostrum and other rostrums. And you know, you're a professional athlete; you you're doing it because that's what you do. It's completely different now. I mean, the day I retired, I almost stopped really and just just went back to having fun and playing football and tennis and 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 a bit of swimming. Um, and now I'm sort of nearly 57 and it's very different now. Now it's really about, you know, respecting my body a little bit more, um, appreciating my age um, and just keeping moving and, and making exercise a, a part of a habit, a part of my daily routine that isn't isn't the focus of my life. But it's certainly something that I believe, especially as we get older, that, 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 that we need to do because our body does change. Even if Olympic athlete, things do change. So, yeah. I, uh, I go for a jog most mornings if I can. It's just a gentle jog, jog with my wife and the dogs. And it's part of our life. And it's, it's a big part of our life, actually. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm probably much more wary of what I eat. Uh, so it's very different to when I was an athlete. You just reminded me of something that the bodybuilder who was huge in the 90s, Dorian Yates, said. He, he talked about how he trained as an athlete and obviously bodybuilding is a, a really extreme sport. And he says, now I'm, I'm in the 50s, he goes, I've just got to be kind to my body. I've got to look after yes. it rather than do, use, do things for performance. That's a really good, good, good way of saying it. Be kind to your body. I, I wasn't kind to my body. I had five operations throughout my career. I missed a whole year with glandular fever. I was always in pain. I mean, you know, it was a part and parcel of it, really. Um, but yeah, be kind to your body. Uh, and I'm definitely, you know, much kinder to my body than, than I was as an athlete. But but I don't say that. Yeah, you know, I mean, that was part. That was what it took to be the best in the world. You had to had to be like that. But it, you know, it was it was it was interesting for me because when I was 11, I was diagnosed with a heart condition, um, congenital heart disease. So I have a leaking heart valve, which was a bit of a shock, and it stopped me actually doing competitive sport for a while it maybe delayed me taking athletics seriously I didn't get into athletics till I left school at 18 um and and it, it, it I'm much more wary of that now as I get older I'm much more respectful of, of my condition than I was probably when I was younger because I didn't want it to be an excuse I didn't want it to be get in the way um and I was monitored every year of my life from the age of 11 I've seen a cardi- card- cardiologist every year of my life I, I get a, a full you know, a health check on my heart every year. So, you know, no nasty surprises. And I think, you know, that that's a big part of people when they're doing exercise or starting exercises is, is, you know, get, get a check, you know, check that there isn't something underlying that you don't know about. And uh, there's been some research by the Booper Health Clinic saying that, you know, people, people, you know, who, who have an awareness of their body um, and, and, and know that, you know, where they're at and they haven't got any underlying problems are, are, are a much better 
place to exercise than, than those who don't. I think it's that thing that Dorian Nietzsche talked about and you've just echoed there. Be, be kind to your body because, yeah, again, a lot of people go into, even in later life, you decide, right, I need to get fit, yeah. I'm overweight and stuff. They, they go in and they absolutely hammer it straight away and it's incredibly painful. It potentially could be dangerous. They, it, they need to follow that advice as well. Just be kind, get the movement going. Do, do you know, Mike, you're absolutely, you, I couldn't put it better myself. You know, I mean, I, I have a, a fitness brand with you know, home exercise equipment and and the message, and most of my customers are, are, are older. And the thing that stops people is they, they, they have all the right intentions. So they go to the gym and they haven't picked up a weight for years. They go to the gym on a Monday night. And they can't, you know, they can't walk on Tuesday. They're aching and they just, they're, they're, their body just says, come on, what are you doing? Be kind to your body, little steps. I met a guy the other day, it was extraordinary who had lost, I think, about 15 stone in over three years. A, a person who could, could hardly walk, yet alone run. And he, he, a friend of his got, you know, got him walking. You know, he walked to the front door, then he walked to the gate, then he walked down the street, and then eventually started jogging. And it was little steps with somebody along the way helping you. And I think that's really important when it comes to exercise. You know, try and do it alone. You're prob- it's going to be hard to, to not give up because when we train with other people or we commit to other people, we're far more we're far less likely to let them down than we are ourselves. And my training partner throughout my career was a guy called Chris Akabusi, you probably heard of. And, you know, there were times I didn't want to train, but I knew he'd be down the track. <laughs> so I wasn't going to not go. And, and same now with what I do now. I, I run as much, really, because my wife wants to run and she runs for mental health reasons as well as physical health reasons. So she won't miss a run, whereas I, on my own, I could probably skip one. So I think, I think be kind to yourself, find somebody to exercise with, and make it a long-term journey, and then it becomes a habit. And when it just be- exercise just becomes something you do on a daily basis, it's no longer that big, that big sort of big deal. It's just what you are and what you do. Yeah, that motivation is key, and it can, it can be done almost online now. If you're in a group, say on Strava or something like that, you see somebody's yeah. done a run, you're like, I need to get out. I mean, the famous quote I think was, I can't remember, it was Sebastian Coe or Steve Ovet, one way or the other. Steve Ovet or Sebastian Coe, one or the other, woke up on Christmas Day and thought, I'll have a day off. And then they imagined the opposite yeah. number going for a 10-mile run. So they went for an 11-mile well, run. I, tell, I, tell, I, tell, I don't know if it was Steve or Seb, but the person I, I know very well, who I think is the person who said this, was Daley Thompson, the decathlete. Because Daley, very famously, was trained every day and trained on a Christmas Day. And he had a big competitor called Jürgen Hingsen from Germany. I remember And Daley always said, you know, I have to train on Christmas Day because if, if that German's... Yeah, I know that German will be training on Christmas Day. So yeah, you're right. You know, it's uh, it's it's all about motivation. We can have you know there are two types of motivation. There's extrinsic motivation, which is somebody motivating you, and that's a good thing. But the really powerful one, you know, is the intrinsic, which is your inner. You know, why am I doing this? You know, exercising for exercise's sake is one thing, but but to really keep at it, you need to start with knowing why am I doing that. This was easy for me as an athlete. I knew why I was doing it. I wanted to stand on the Olympic rostrum. wasn't wasn't difficult. <laughs> you know, I knew what motivation was. Now it's more about being healthy for my family, being healthy for myself. You know, a bit of vanity, if I'm honest. You know, I don't want to put too much weight on. Um, and also, you know, keeping the joints moving because things do change as you get older, no matter who you are. But as long as you know why you want to achieve something, you'll probably find a way how to do it. Um, and we need to keep you know, resetting those goals. And they don't have to be big, big ones like, you know, trying to run a marathon or whatever. Just just even if it's just, I just want to be able to, to walk around the block. Uh, that's enough, you know, just just be, but, but have those goals because they'll, they'll pull you forward. 
I remember back when you went on the Olympic rostrum and you were up against yeah. Michael Johnson. And I, mean, yeah. I don't mean this in a disrespectful way, no, no. but I've never seen anyone so happy to win a silver medal because you're right. It, he he was just so far and away from everybody else well, at that time, wasn't he? But Mark, I tell you what, there were two reasons I was happy. Three reasons I was happy. One, I was happy because I'd been around a long time and I knew how hard it was to, to win an Olympic medal in my event, the 400. You know, as a Brit, you know, I'm the last person to have done it. it. hasn't been done since in the men's event. Um, and, you know, I'd done it. I'd done it. So, I, I, you know, wow. You know, coming second to Michael, Michael was extraordinary. He was so much better than the rest of the world at that moment in time that I, I yeah, I, all things being equal, he was going to win. I mean, he, he could have messed up. Don't get me wrong. I didn't think I couldn't win. I just thought, you know, he has to mess up for me to win. But the thing people forget is, I could easily not have medaled. I could, and there were guys in that race who had beaten me, and I'd beaten them. I could easily not have medaled. And so to win that silver medal really did feel like a gold medal for me because I knew the margins between winning a medal and not at the Olympic Games, and they're tiny. They're tiny. One mistake, and I wouldn't have won a medal, and my life would have been very different. So I was absolutely... I, I knew on the Olympic rostrum, no one could tell me otherwise, that I'd run my perfect race in the final, I'd run really well, um, there was nothing more I could have done. And to have that medal around my neck was, was everything. It was everything. You know, you're not defined by the colour of the medal. You're defined by the performance. I couldn't have run any quicker. Do you think, looking back at how Britain was in those days compared to America, America was always more advanced in terms of sports science, the support sure. they gave the athletes. Sure. Do you think you were under-supported and maybe you could have achieved more if you'd have... I mean, I'm sitting here probably um, a mile away from Brunel where the sports science facilities and the, yeah. the support they get is unbelievable. I, do you know, I honestly don't. I'm of an era that it was the transition from amateur to professional. We didn't have sports science. We didn't have lottery. We didn't have technology. But I'm not sure I would have done any better with it. I really don't. I don't think I would have achieved more. I, I might have run quicker. I might have been less injured. I probably wouldn't have beaten Michael Johnson. Um, and there was a freedom back in those days. You know, you had to really dig deep. You know, you, you had to make it happen. You had to. You had to put your hands in your pocket and pay for your training. You had to really, you know, sacrifice. I don't like the word sacrifice. You ha it had to, you know, it was old school, but I loved it. I didn't know any different. Now it's a little bit more complicated. You can turn to technology. You can sort of expect that technology is going to make you run faster. It probably isn't in the end. When you walk into the Olympic Stadium for the Olympic final, it doesn't matter how much technology you've had behind you. You've got to compete. You've got to step up and, and, and battle. And I, th I think it's quite hard to, you know, I don't think, I think money and technology and isn't necessarily going to create that. So certainly in my sport of athletics, which is a very natural sport, but other technical sports, yes, it does make a big difference. So I don't know if I would have run, I, I, I would say I probably would have run faster, but I don't think I would have achieved much more, if I'm honest. What was it like facing Michael Johnson? Because you've talked about that, about the psychology and wanting it. Enough. Yeah. Was it something where you turned to your left if he was on your left or your right? You looked at him and everybody else the same. They, they were almost beaten before they started. I, I, no, no. Because at that level, you're not even thinking about it. You're, you know, take the Olympic final. You, 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 uh, uh, what you find in sport is the lower down, there's more banter, there's more, you know, psyching out. Once you get to the very highest level, there's such a mutual respect amongst the best in the world. And actually, in the Olympic final, if you're focusing, especially in an event like the 400, if you're focusing on your competitors, you're not focusing on yourself. And 
And it is all about really focusing on yourself. You're aware, and I was aware of Michael, but if I'd run Michael's race, if I'd gone to beat Michael, I wouldn't. there's no way I would have won a medal. I probably would have come last, actually, because I would have blown up for the last 50 metres of the race. So you're aware of your competitors, but ultimately when that gun goes, you, you are really focusing on your own performance. Why is it you're the last person to medal when there's been such support in athletics and with the well, lottery money in that go, event? You know, there have been a few guys that have had a few chances at it. It's tough. You know, it's tough it's, you know, in all events, but the 400 is tough. You know, the Americans, the Africans, whatever. But we have got a guy now who's, who broke the British record last year. He medals, He won a bronze medal in the World Championships last year. His name is Matthew Hudson-Smith. He's the best thing I've ever seen. I mean, I, I, he's the most talented British 400-metre runner I've, I've ever seen. And it's all coming together for him. So I really hope that in the Paris Olympics in two years' time, we see him on the rostrum. It isn't going to be easy, but he is capable of doing it. Um, I guess we haven't seen many people because it's hard. You know, it's tough. And, uh, you know, it, it, it's a long time since I did it. And, but there hasn't really been, been anyone who's even had a shot at it since then. But I think Matthew is, is definitely the real deal. And I think he could do it. Have you been in touch with him or has he been in touch with you? To yeah, advice? yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, there's a little, you know, we're all sort of connected in, in, in our way, you know, um, but not really, but uh, yeah, yeah, a little bit. So, so we're all, it's a, it's a nice community, the 400 metre community, whether it's Akabusi or you and Thomas, Mark Richardson, Jamie Bolch, you know, there's there's a group of us, Derek Redmond, and uh, it, it's yeah, in Brian, yeah, yeah, just, just there's, there's a nice, nice community. Chris Akabusi carries his medal around a lot. Do you, do you do that as well? Well, we do because we make a lot of our living speaking at conferences. So we, he jokes about it. But yeah, we do because the medals will probably come out if you're giving a motivational speech or whatever. So yeah, I, I, they're not tucked away in a vault somewhere. They're, they're definitely, you know, they're hidden somewhere in the house, but they're definitely yeah, yeah, accessible. Is that something, do you have it on display in your house to have a little no, look at no, it? No, no, I don't. No, in my house, there's only, there's a, there, there's a photo of me and Michael Johnson on the Olympic rostrum, which is in the toilet. <laughs> and, and, <laughs> The Olympic torch, which I carried in 2012, is, is in the house. That's that's the only clue. I mean, Akabusi has a sort of whole room that's a shrine to his athletics career, but, uh, yeah, <laughs> you know, but no, not me. No, I think there was a story about Sting virtually using uh, all his awards as doorstops and things like that because yeah. he had, he had so, so many around the house. Do you know why that is? Do you know why that is with, with a lot of performers, whether it's in sport or music? You, you're programmed to, to, to look forward, not look back. Um, you, you, an athlete is programmed always to look forward. You don't dwell on the past. You're always looking forward. And I think, you know, I mean, I'm very grateful for my past and it, and it, it shaped me. And m- most of my living is made out of what I did all those years ago in some shape or form. But I'm not, I don't dwell on it at all, if I'm honest. I'm, I'm you know, it's more about family and, and, and moving forward. Is that something you sort of kind of regret? I remember Johnny Wilkinson saying as soon as he hit that um, drop goal that won the World Cup for England in the yeah. Rugby World Cup, he, he he felt almost disappointed because he was thinking, what next, rather than just enjoying the moment? Was it like that for you? No, no, it wasn't like that for me. Um, we're all different, OK? No, um, I'm not, I, I would never say that. In 1996, when I stood on the Olympic rostrum with Michael Johnson and a guy called Davis Kamoga from Uganda, I can honestly tell you lots of emotions, but there was one overriding emotion and I felt complete. I felt complete. I, I stepped off that rostrum. I was never the same again. I didn't need it like I had done up to that moment. I knew that I couldn't have done any better. I knew there was nothing left for me to do or uh, you know, my body was all over the place anyway. 
and that's a wonderful moment. I mean, to, to have had your best day towards the end of your career is 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 a rare thing and a and, and a great because often you have your best day early and you spend the rest of your career trying to improve it. But uh, yeah, I uh, I was fine. Honestly, I was fine to retire. I was fine. I was excited about you know doing other things, and I was just grateful to have had the talent and to have known the likes of Daley Thompson and Chris Akabusi and, and my training partners to help me along the way. I could easily not have made it. You know, I was born with a congenital heart disease. You know, that may have stopped me. I'm, I, I, I became an athlete because I messed up one of my A-levels. I was going to be a doctor and I messed up my A-level and what I thought was the worst day of my life was the best day of my life because that's the reason I took up athletics. And uh, to, to, to then stand on the Olympic rostrum age 30 is is a wonderful feeling so yeah i was i was very grateful for my career and i was really happy to move on with the rest of my life well it's been fantastic to speak to you roger a, a real insight into the sort of psychology of a, an elite athlete as well as what it Thank takes you. physically three times olympic medalist roger black speaking on podcast radio hey nerds i'm sarah the paper nerd and if you've ever wondered what goes into that greeting card you just sent or received well, quite a lot. Get your paper fix on the paper fold where I host an enchanting mix of personalities and players all nerding out on my favorite topic, stationery. From the designs of our snail mail communications to the precious space created when two people correspond, there's a lot to cover. So come grab a seat in the stationery community's only five-star paper salon, The Paper Fold, now part of the Evergreen Podcast Network.